0: Chapter Twenty Two of The Frozen Pirate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barbara Dirksen. The Frozen Pirate by W. Clark Russell. Chapter Twenty Two A Change Comes Over the Frenchman tassard was dogged and scowling such was his temper that had i been a small or weak man or a person likely to prove submissive he would have given a loose to his foul tongue and maybe handled me very roughly but my demeanour was cold and resolved and not of a kind to improve his courage i levelled a deliberate semi-contemptuous gaze at his own fiery stare and puzzled him too i believe a good deal by my cool reserve he muttered whilst we ate drinking plentifully of wine and garnishing his draughts with oaths and to spare and then after falling silent and remaining so for the space of twenty minutes during which i lighted my pipe and sat with my feet close to the furnace listening with eager ears to the sounds of the ice and the dull crying of the wind he exclaimed sulkily your scheme is a failure the schooner is fixed what's to be done now i don't know that my scheme is a failure said i what did you suppose-that the blast would blow the ice with the schooner on it into the ocean clear of the island if the ice is so shaken as to enable the swell to detach it my scheme will have accomplished all i proposed Eve, he cried scornfully and passionately, Eve will not deliver us nor save the treasure. I tell you, the schooner is fixed, as fixed as the damned in everlasting fire, be it so, he cried, clenching his fist. But you must meddle no more. The boca del dragon is mine, mine, do you see, now that they're all dead and gone but me smiting his bosom and if ever she is to float let nature or the devil launch her no more explosions with the risks your failure has made her and me run his voice sank he looked at me in silence and then with a wild grin of anger he exclaimed what made you awake me i was at peace neither cold hungry nor hopeless What demon forced you to bring me to these? to bring me back to these, Mr. Tassard, said I coldly, I don't ask your pardon for my experiment. I meant well, and to my mind it is no failure yet. But for disturbing your repose, I do sincerely beg your forgiveness, and solemnly promise you, if you will return to the state in which I found you, that I will not repeat the offense he eyed me from top to toe in silence filled and lighted his hideous pipe and smoked with his back turned upon me had there been another warm place in the schooner i should have retired to it and left this surly and scandalous savage to the enjoyment of his own company his temper rendered me extremely uneasy the arms room was full of weapons he might draw a pistol upon me and shoot me dead before I should have time to clench my hand. Nor did I conceive him to have his right mind. His panic terrors and outbursts of rage were such extremes of behaviour as suggested some sort of organic decay within. He had been, for eight and forty years, insensible. In all that time, the current of life had been frozen in him, not dried up and extinguished therefore taking his age to be fifty-five when the frost seized him he would now be one hundred and three years old having subsisted into this great span of time in fact though confronting me with the aspect of an elderly man merely death ends time but this man had never been dead or surely it would not have been in the power of brandy and chafing and fire to arouse him and though all the processes of nature had been checked in him for nearly half a century yet he must have been throughout as much alive as a sleeping man and consequently when he awoke he arose with the weight of a hundred and three years upon his brain which may suffice to account for the preternatural peculiarities of his character after sitting a long while sullenly smoking in silence he fetched his mattress and some covers lay down upon it and fell fast asleep i admired and envied this display of confidence and heartily wished myself as safe in his hands as he was in mine the afternoon passed i was on deck a half-dozen times but never witnessed the least alteration in the ice my spirits sank very low there was bitter remorseless defiance in the white fierce rigid stare of the ice and i could not but believe with the frenchman that all our labor and expenditure of powder was in vain there was no more noticeable weight in the wind but the sea was beginning to beat with some strength upon the coast and the schooner sometimes trembled to the vibrations of the blows there was also a continuous crackling noise coming up out of the ice and just as i came on deck on my third visit a block of ice weighing i dare say a couple of hundred tons fell from the broken shoulder on the storeboard quarter and plunged with a roar like a thunderclap into the chasm that had opened in the night i sat before the furnace extremely dejected whilst the frenchman snored on his mattress i could no longer flatter myself that the explosions had made the impression i had expected on the ice and my mind was utterly at a loss how to deliver myself from this horrible situation i could not imagine as to the treasure Why, if the chests had all been filled with gold, they might have gone to the bottom there, and then for me, so utterly insignificant did their value seem as against the pricelessness of liberty and the joy of deliverance. Had I been alone, I should have had a stouter heart, I dare say, for then I should have been able to do as I pleased. But now I was associated with a bloody-minded rogue whose soul was in the treasure, and who was certain to oppose any plan i might propose for the construction of a boat or raft out of the material that formed the schooner the sole ray of hope that gleamed upon me broke out of the belief that this island was going north and that when we had come to the height of the summer in these seas the wasting of the coast or the dislocation of the northern mass would release us yet this was but poor comfort too "'for it threatened a terrible long spell of waiting, "'with perhaps disappointment in the end, "'and months of enforced association with a wretch "'with whom I should have had to live in fear of my life. "'When I was getting supper, Tassard awoke, "'quitted his mattress, and came to his bench. Has anything happened whilst I slept,' said he. "'Nothing,' I answered. "'The ice shows no signs of giving.' "'I see none,' said I. "'Well,' cried he, with a sarcastic sneer, "'have you any more fine schemes?' "'Tis your turn now,' I replied. "'Try your hand. "'If you fail, I promise you I shall not be disappointed.' "'But you English sailors,' said he, wagging his head "'and regarding me with a great deal of wildness in his eye, "'speak of yourselves as the finest seamen in the world.' justify the maritime reputation of your nation by showing me how we are to escape with the schooner from the ice mr tessard said i approaching him and looking him full in the face i would advise you to sweeten your temper and change your tone i have borne myself very moderately towards you submitted to your insults with patience and have done you some kindness i am not afraid of you on the contrary i look upon you as a swaggering bully and a hoary villain do you understand me i am a desperate man in a desperate situation but if i don't fear death depend upon it i don't fear you and i take god to witness that if you do not use me with the civility i have a right to expect i will kill you my temper had given way i meant every word i spoke and my air and sincerity rendered my speech very formidable i approached him by another stride he started up as i thought to seize me but in reality to recoil and this he did so effectually as to tumble over his bench and down he fell striking his bald head so hard that he lay for several minutes motionless i stood over him till he chose to sit erect which he presently did rubbing his poll and looking at me with an air of mingled bewilderment and fear this is scurvy usage to give a shipmate in distress said he odds life man i had thought there was some sense of humour in you your hand mr rodney i feel dazed i helped him to rise and he then sat down in a somewhat rickety manner rubbing his eyes it might have been fancy it might have been the illusion of the furnace light combined with the venerable appearance his long hair and naked pate gave him but methought in those few minutes he had grown to look twenty years older never concern yourself about my humour mr tassard said i preserving my determined air and coming close to him again how is it to stand between us i leave the choice to you if you will treat me civilly you'll not find me wanting in every disposition to render our miserable state tolerable but if you insult me use me injuriously and act the pirate over me who am an honest man, by God, Mr. Tassard? I will kill you. He stooped away from me and raised his hand in a posture as if to fend me off, and cried in a whining manner, "I lost my head. This gunpowder business hath been a hellish disappointment. Look you, Mr. Rodney, come, we will drink a can to our future amity. I answered coldly that I wanted no more wine and bade him beware of me that he had gone far enough that our hideous condition had filled my soul with desperation and misery and that i would not have my life on this frozen schooner made more abominable than it was by his swagger lies and insults and i added in a loud voice and in a menacing manner that death had no terrors for me and that i would dispatch him with as little fear as i should meet my own doom whatever shape it took I marched on deck, not a little astounded by the cowardice of the old rascal, and very well pleased with the marked impression my bearing and language had produced on him. Not that I supposed for a moment that my bold comportment would save me from his knife or his pistol when he should think proper to make away with me. No, all I reckoned upon was cowing him into a civiler posture of mind and checking his aggressions and insolence as to his murdering me i was very sure he would not attempt such an act whilst we remained imprisoned loneliness would have more horrors for him than for me and though my machinery of minds had apparently failed he was shrewd enough despite his rage of disappointment to understand that more was to be done by two men than by one and that between us something might be attempted which would be impracticable by a simple pair of hands and particularly old hands such as his i stayed but a minute or two on deck such was the cold that i do not know i had ever felt it more biting and bitter the sound of foaming waters filled the wind and the wind itself was blowing fairly strong in gusts that screamed in the frozen rigging or in blasts that had the deep echo of the thunderclaps of the splitting ice the clouds were numerous and dark with the shadow of the night and the swiftness of their motion as they sailed up out of the southwest quarter was illustrated by the leaping of the few bright stars from one dusky edge to another i returned below and sat down the frenchman asked me no questions he had his can in the oven and its death's head in his great hand and puffed out clouds of smoke of the colour of his beard, and indeed in the candle and firelight, looked like a figure of old time with his long nose and bald head. I addressed one or two civil remarks to him, which he answered in a subdued manner, discovering no resentment whatever that I could trace in his eyes or the expression of his countenance, and being wishful to show that I bore no malice, I talked of pirates and their usages and asked him if the boca del dragon fought under the red or black flag By the black flag certainly said he but if we met with resistance it was our custom to haul it down and hoist the red flag to let our opponents know we should give no quarter where is your flag locker said i in my berth he answered i should like to see the black flag i exclaimed 'Tis the one piece of bunting I believe I have never viewed. I'll fetch it, said he, and taking the lanthorn went aft very quietly, but with a certain stagger in his walk, which I should have put down to the wine, if it was not that his behavior was free from all symptoms of ebriation. The change in him surprised me, but not so greatly as you might suppose. Indeed it excited my suspicions rather than my wonder. Fear worked in him unquestionably, but what I seemed to see best was some malignant design which he hoped to conceal by an air of consolation and a quality of respectful bonhomie. He came back with a flag in his hand, and we spread it between us. It was black with a yellow skull grinning in the middle, over this an hourglass and beneath a crossbones what consternation has this signal caused and does still cause said i surveying it whilst a hundred fancies of the barbarous scenes it had flown over the miserable cries for mercy that had swept up past it to the ear of god crowded into my mind i think mr tassard said i that our first step should we ever find ourselves afloat in this ship must be to commit this and all other flags of a like kind on board to the deep there is evidence in this piece of drapery to hang an angel he let fall his ends of the flag and sat down suddenly yes he answered sending a curious rolling glance around the cook-room and at the same time bringing his hand to the back of his head this is evidence to dangle even an honester man than you sir all flags but the ensign we resolved to sail under must go all flags and all the wearing apparel and and but here he muttered a curse we are fixed there is to be no sailing he shook his head and covered his eyes his manner was strange and the stranger for his quietude i said to him are you ill he looked up sharply and cried vehemently no no then stretched his lips in a very ghastly grin and turned to take the can from the oven but his hand missed it and he appeared to grope as if he were blind though he looked at the can all the time then he catched it and brought it to his mouth but trembled so much that he spilt as much as he drank and after putting the can back sat shaking his beard and stroking the wet off it methought in a very mechanical lunatic way i thought to myself is this behavior some stratagem of his what device can such a bearing hide if he is acting he plays his part well i rolled the black flag into a bundle and flung it into a corner and resuming my seat and my pipe continued more for civility's sake than because of any particular interest i took in the subject "'to ask him questions about the customs and habits of pirates. "'I believe,' said I, "'the buccaneers are so resolute in having clear ships "'that they have neither beds nor seats on board.' "'The English,' he answered, speaking slowly "'and letting his pipe droop whilst he spoke with his eyes fixed on deck. "'Not the Spanish,' tis the custom of most english pirates to eat and sleep upon the decks for the sake of a clear ship as you say the spaniard loves comfort you may observe his fancy in this ship how is the plunder partitioned i asked everything is put into the common chest as we call it and brought to the mast and sold by auction strange he cried breaking off and putting his hand to his brow i find my speech difficult do you notice i halt and utter thickly i replied no his voice seemed to be the same as hitherto yet i feel ill holy mother of god what is this feeling coming upon me oh jesus how faint and dark he half rose from his bench but sat again trembling as if the palsy had seized him and I noticed his head dotted with beads of sweat. He had drunk so much wine and spirits throughout the day that a dram would have been of no use to him. I said, I expect it will be the blow on the back of your head when you fell just now that has produced this feeling of giddiness. Let me help you lie down, for his mattress was on deck. The sensation will pass, I don't doubt. If he heard me, he did not heed me, but fell a muttering and crying to himself and now i did certainly remark a quality in his voice that was new to my ear it was not as he had said a labour or thickness of utterance but a dryness and parchedness of old age with many breaks from high to low notes and a lean noise of dribbling threading every word he sweated and talked and muttered but this was from sheer terror he did not swoon but sat with a stoop often pressed his brows and gazing about him like one whose senses are all abroad gracious mother of all angels he exclaimed crossing himself several times but with a feeble almost agitated hand and speaking in french and english and sometimes interjecting an invocation in italian or spanish though i give you what he said in my own tongue surely i am dying o oh, lord how frightful to die o oh, holy virgin be merciful to me i shall go to hell o oh, jesu i am past forgiveness for the love of heaven mr rodney some brandy oh that some saint would interpose for me only a few years longer cramp me a few years longer i beseech for time that i may repent and he extended one quivering hand for the brandy of which a draught stood melted in the oven and made the sign of the cross upon his breast with the other whilst he continued to whine out in his cracked pipes the wildest appeals for mercy saying a vast deal that i durst not venture to set down so plentiful and awful were his clamours for time that he might repent though he never lapsed into blasphemy but on the contrary discovered an agony of religious horror i was much astonished and puzzled by this illness that had come upon him for though he talked of darkness and faintness and of dying he continued to sit up on his bench and take poles at the can of brandy i had handed to him it might be indeed that a sudden faintness had terrified him nearly out of his senses with the prospect of approaching death but that would not account for the peculiar note and appearance of age that had entered his figure face and voice then an extraordinary fancy occurred to me had the whole weight of the unhappy wretch's years suddenly descended upon him or if not wholly arrived might not these indications in him mark the first stages of a gradually increasing pressure the heat the vivacity the fierceness spirits and temper of the life i had been instrumental in restoring to him probably illustrated his character as it was eight and forty years since that had flourished artificially from the moment of his awakening down to the present hour but now the hand of time was upon this man whose age was above a hundred he might be decaying and wasting even as he sat there into such an intellectual condition and physical aspect as he would possess and submit had he come without a break into his present age i was fascinated by the mystery of his vitality and breathlessly watched him as if i expected to witness some harlequin change in his face and mark the transformation of his polished brow into the lean austerity of wrinkles His voice sank into a mere whisper at last, and then, ceasing to speak altogether, he dropped his chin onto his bosom and began to sway from side to side, catching himself from falling with several paralytic starts, but without lifting his head or opening his eyes that I could see, and manifesting every symptom of extreme drowsiness. I got up and laid my hand on his shoulder on which he turned his face and viewed me with one eye closed the other scarce open how are you feeling now said i sleepy very sleepy he answered i'll put your mattress into your hammock said i and the best thing you can do is go and turn in properly and get a long night's rest and tomorrow morning you'll feel yourself as hearty as ever he mumbled some answer which i interpreted to signify very well so i shouldered his mattress and slung a lanthorn in his cabin and then returned to help him to bed he sat reeling on the bench his chin on his breast catching himself up as before with little sharp terrified recoveries and i was forced to put my hand on him again to make him understand i had come back He then made as if to rise, but trembled so violently that he sank down again with a groan, and I was obliged to put my whole strength to the lifting of him to get him on to his legs. He leaned heavily upon me, breathing hard, stooping very much, and trembling. When we got to his cabin, I perceived that he would never be able to climb into his hammock, nor had I the power to hoist a man of his bulk so high. To end the perplexity, I cut the hammock down and laid it on the deck, and covering him with a heap of clothes, unslung the lanthorn, wished him good night, closed the door, and returned to the furnace. End of chapter twenty two. Recording by Barbara Dirksen.